When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Podcasts. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. Right on, baby. That's it. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Haw and Dan Weeder. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I'm David Hoff on the Mullin Haw Show on 670 The Score. Dan Readers from the Chicago Tribune. He is at Hallis Hall. And we are days away from the Bears and the Broncos at Soldier Field. Sunday, October 1st, the start of a new month. Is it a start of a new chapter for the Bears? They have not won since last October 24th. Dan, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I literally just got done filing a long feature for ChicagoTribune.com about how chaotic September was and October has to be better, right? I mean, I think that's what we're looking at here. We've got uh, five games that the Bears will play between now and Halloween. They play against opponents that have a combined record of 4-11 and 11 through the first three weeks of the season. And so you, you would hope that there would be a window of opportunity here to at least start to make strides in a direction that feel uh, a little bit better. Busy week at Hallis Hall. A lot of things, a lot of observations, a lot of things to discuss. Let's get right to it with our opening drive. It's time for the opening, the, the opening drive. So, Dan, I think that overall, uh, let's let's reset. We heard from Justin Fields. He was not in a great mood. We heard from Matt Eberflus. He thinks they're close. And then we hear from Luke Getze. And these are just the highlights. There was a lot of other things in between. But I found myself... And I, this doesn't happen often with Luke Getzey, and I'm curious if we, we'll just start here to get your perspective. I always think he's the guy that's going to tell us the truth and be the most grounded. And when he talks about being close to being special with this Bears offense that hasn't scored more than 20 points since week 11 last year, I wonder if he's been infected with the Bear virus as well. And I wonder if he's really being as forthright as he's typically been in the past. And I just wonder – or if that's reading too much into his words and how he said them or what you thought as somebody who's up there all the time, because I don't know if I'm buying what the bears are selling about their offense being this close. Yeah. In in this instance, I'm probably selling that if you're asking me to buy or sell. Um, I do think that this is a, a group here that is, is, grasping you know i think they're grasping that there's an urgency and a desperation that's involved right now um that creates some feelings to try to find the thing that gives you some sense of encouragement you know and i you know look like we, we've lived through this before with previous regimes and and previous bad teams where where the the sentiment of oh we're close oh if we just took care of these six or seven or eight plays imagine how different reality would have been when it really that's just a fictitious world that doesn't exist the Bears obviously have to find a way to hit stride offensively. I think 
the one thing I consistently take away from Luke is how process oriented he is, how much he tries to keep Justin in that space to understand that um, progress isn't always going to be linear, as we found out very, very directly over the first three games of this season, and that you still have to have a faith um, in the, the growth plan and the growth process in a way that allows you to trust in things that are going on around you. I think that's part of trying to instill trust that, that they have his best interest and his development uh, in the right frame of mind as they go forward. Um, but I don't think anything we've seen through the first three weeks of the season in any phase of this football team tells you that they're close or that the word special should be should be attached to any of it. We're a week removed from what you described as one of the more chaotic weeks you've been around in a decade covering the team. That was last week. This week, I wonder how they bounce back mentally with the damaged psyche and all the losing and the cumulative effect on the team and the players and the coaches and everybody. Because, uh, you know, Brad Biggs, as we talked to Dan, you know, like on the Moline Haw show every morning, it's Biggs time. And <laughs> he described the other day going into the open locker room and not having a lot of uh, – not having a lot of enthusiasm, not having a lot of activity or energy. I, I wondered if you sensed the same thing and how you overall would describe how the Bears are responding to 0-3 and the, the way that they lost the third game especially. I'm going to take this in two directions, and I'm going to start with kind of what you mentioned there. And look, like we, you remember very, very clearly two weeks ago, we were talking about the vibes that were out here in week two leading up to that game against the Buccaneers. And I, I just felt a discouragement that lingered after the loss of the Packers that, that, that kind of took a while for this team to get through in it. And it just seeped too deep into week two, and they couldn't get past it. And then obviously a week ago, week three, we know was, as you mentioned, chaotic. And I just, there was a, a, an uneasiness in the building the entire week. So we went from discouragement to uneasiness. I, I, I sense things are calmer inside the building this week, but I don't know what kind of calm that is. You know, obviously it's, it's, it's a little bit after the, the storm passes, there's just the, okay, let's take our, our, our deep breath and, and survey the wreckage and figure out where the first cleanup needs to be done. You know, and I feel like that's kind of where they are right now. They understand they've got an opponent coming to Soldier Field here that is also winless, that should present an opportunity for them to um, maybe do some of the things that they want to do more readily than they were able to do against the defenses that they faced in the first three weeks of the season. Um, and so there's there's that level of, of calm to them. Like, okay, now maybe we can play a possession or two, a quarter or two on our terms and see where that leads us. Now, the other part of this is that I was going to tell you, because I think this is kind of kind of notable on the, the grand scheme is that the media room this week, David, uh, there there was a, a heaviness in the media room this week with people looking down at the calendars on the bottom corner of their laptop and going, how is it still September? You know, how are we in this place in week four and thinking about having 14 more weeks in this building of having to go in these locker rooms of, of, of a team that is is just so far from from relevance so far from you know meaningful competitiveness and and having to do this dance for another three and a half months and that, that, that it was significant across the room and i really felt that starting in the press box in in arrowhead on sunday and it creeped into this week and then i had a a really kind of a fun but a, a really honest conversation with eddie jackson at his locker earlier in the week and I, I said eddie i know there's a perception in certain pockets that you know the media thrives on this that this is the time where oh yeah great you know kick them while they're down this is what we live for and i said it couldn't be further from the truth and i can tell you from that room in there that everyone is just of, tired of this cycle and he was laughing and, and and he said yeah i remember 2018 and we started talking about that i said remember 2018 when everybody really liked each other when all the questions we asked were about the fun everyone was having and there was a 
10-game stretch where the Bears lost one time, and that one loss was in overtime when they came back with a backup quarterback playing, and it was like everything for, for, for close to three months there was just joyous and it was adrenalizing and everyone loved it. It's the complete opposite right now. I think everyone is hoping we get some sort of script flip. We are, I think we're, we understand David that this season sure. is not going where 2018 went, but let's get something to refresh this in a positive way here soon. I think that everybody understands that. And the reason I think, and I said this before, all those memories from 2018, stand out so much is because there's so few and far yeah. between, you know, it doesn't happen. You can't Five say, years oh, ago. <laughs> which was that the 2019 or 2020 when the bears <laughs> won a playoff game, they just haven't had these kind of seasons. And that's why uh, you, you look at the, the historic losing and the, the futility and it's so frustrating. And I wonder how much that permeates, not necessarily the building, but the organization when you see, guys like Justin Fields on Wednesday. And I, and I don't want to overreact to a podium appearance, but it's also you're the quarterback of the Chicago Bears, so you can't ignore it. And I think that reality and perception in markets like, like Chicago, NFL cities like Chicago, they have this codependent relationship. And sometimes, you know, perception shapes reality and, and sometimes it doesn't. But when you, when you are Justin Fields and a week after you, you spend 11 minutes, you know, talking about how you need to play freer and less robotic. And, you know, you get into the, 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 the coaching issue and, and the controversy and you, you call back guys back. And what we saw and heard from Justin Fields on Wednesday, I think was a, a reminder just how young he is. Yeah, yeah. Also how little direction and advice that I think he gets, you know, th this is, this is the part where, it is it is maybe something that's overstated a little bit by the media, maybe that cover the team or maybe people in, in talk radio or whatever. But, you no. know, I, I'm I'm consistently amazed and I don't get consistently amazed, but I'm consistently surprised how little teams prepare these players to shape the perception in ways that could be productive for everybody. I think it's an interesting conversation, to be honest with you, because I, 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 you know, I thought it was a predictable act of defiance from Justin a week after he felt like he had gotten burned by the comments he made up here. I was pretty much expecting him to be in that kind of state of mind. Um, and I, I, I give him that, like, you, you know, you've got your one opportunity to, to, to lash back at the media in that way, you know, go ahead and take it, you, you know, I, I'll share this in a minute, but um, I think to your point, you have to understand that as you stare out at a room of yeah, the, the what I'm looking at right now with you know 25 chairs filled, that your your press conference is also being live broadcast on the team's official streams, right on the website, on on X, and on all these other platforms, and you're trying to project. Um, a sense of positivity of, of confidence of, of leadership to more than just the, the people who are in this room, you know, and is it a, a huge thing? Maybe not. Is it something for sure? And I, I think there is a maturity element of that that needs to be developed. Uh, Andrew Ginoco, the quarterback's coach, was asked this very specific question by Mark Potash on Thursday evening on, on whether he cares about the demeanor that Justin brings in his interaction to the media. And he said, look, like we're trying to make him our number one goal is to make him a good football player. But with that, we're trying to make him a more well-rounded person as well. And some of that is growing through these experiences and understanding how to handle them and, and doing so with a grace and a maturity that um, 
that is befitting of a captain of the team, you know? And so I, like, I, I will tell you that I, I did walk out of the session on Wednesday and I just thought, man, that's just, a, it, it's a missed opportunity to, to take a step of growth in that moment. He can take it going forward. Now I have been trying to get up with Justin since last week. I did finally, and I, I was debating whether to share this on the show, but I did finally get catch up with them in the locker room on Wednesday. And I just directly addressed my part in whatever last week was and said, look, like I hold you to a very high standard here. And I, I, I'm critical of a lot of things you do. I have to hold the, the, the same accountability to myself and I have to take ownership of the miss, um, not, not miss just, just, just the clumsiness of, of the knee jerk tweet that I put out after his media session last week and, and not intending or realizing sort of the, the mushrooming, whatever that it caused. And so, you know, I, I, we, we talked about it for 90, 90 seconds to two minutes. And I don't think there was any uh, significant animosity. He extended his hand to me and, and, and shook it at the end and said, I appreciate you coming to me about that. And so um, you hope that things like that can be put aside quickly. You hope that this demeanor that Justin had Wednesday at his, his uh, press conference is not one that then persists into week five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Because if he's going to come up here every Wednesday and and present himself in that manner, you're not going to get a lot of people rallying, right? Like it's just going to feel right. like, oh man, this is a defeated team with a leader who's sullen, you know. And, and and this team can't afford that at this point. And then to your point, I think behind the scenes there has to be some of that messaging on like this is how you handle this and this is how you need to do this for us as an organization because like it or not at 24 years old you're the face of this thing and you've got to take us in the direction that you want us to go interesting so i'm not surprised you approached him i'm glad you did i don't think that you deserved a lot of the criticism you got for the tweet and we don't have to revisit that i just think that you know it got that it was got over the blown, top for sure that got blown for out sure. of proportion as well so um, and I do think those kinds of conversations you have with players that you cover and, and situations that might be misunderstandings, um, they're productive and they're healthy for the long term. The other, the other thing, and the last thing I have on this is that the, the reason why it becomes an issue in forms like this one or in shorter, more you know, condensed versions of, on sports talk radio or in digital uh, platforms or newspapers is because we buy into the idea that, you know, we're told all the time, well, you know, the quarterback in any NFL organization is a guy, when he walks into the building, everybody, everybody changes their mood and it changes the temperature in the room. And he's got that kind of power and that kind of reach and it can have that kind of impact. And you look at the Joe Burrows and the Patrick Mahomes and the Josh Allens and the examples that are our guys who that does, that does happen in those organizations. And there are a lot of people in town that believe that Justin Fields could be that guy and maybe still believe he can be that guy. When you are that guy or potentially that, that guy, everything matters. Everything matters. And not anything can be dismissed. That's a ton of pressure. But that's why the size of the contracts are what they are. There's a lot at stake here, not just in terms of financial, but the Bears – are a public trust. I interviewed Mayor Brandon Johnson on TV yesterday, on Wednesday night, and, and he talked about the same thing. We say it all the time. When the Bears mean as much as they do to city, city of Chicago, and when an NFL team means as much as it can to a city anywhere, then the quarterback takes on a lot, and you can't just dismiss your obligation and responsibility to be an ambassador and a representative and a professional 
365. Yeah, it's a heavy demand for sure. And, I, you know, DJ Moore spoke to us on Thursday afternoon in the locker room and he said he saw Justin's uh, <laughs> news conference and he, he said, I, I told him I, I told him he needs to smile more. And he was <laughs> joking about it, but it was a good piece of advice. And Andrew Janoko talked about that as well. It's just like the power of a smile and, and just still being able to convey charisma amid chaos. And that's something that uh, Justin will have to go on. I think there's a, a perception that, you, you know, like – like I think you've said it before that it's a uh, evaluation, not an insult, right? That's some of the things that we do as analysts. Right. And like, I, I like Justin as an individual. I think he's been a, a, a really good dude to be around for two and a half years. I think he handles himself for the most part, very well in it. What you just described as a very, very demanding responsibility. And so, um, Look, he's 24 years old, you know, and there's a lot of a lot of things that are on his plate that were never on your plate or my plate at age 24. I know I wouldn't have been able to handle it. And so hopefully this is just another piece uh, in his own words of, of adversity that he's able to grow from and mature from and, and, and use in a positive way going forward. Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. All right, let's look at some of the other aspects of this game between the Bears and the Broncos in our game plan. And the other big story, I think, at Hallis this week was Matt Eberflus removing doubt and accepting all of the responsibility for calling defensive signals and not going either outside the organization. The Rod Marinelli rumor was out there for whatever reason. And also, and other guys probably were considered, but not going and bringing somebody into the organization. And that, which I think is a mistake, not promoting somebody on a staff that has capable, qualified, experienced people to do that part of the job to allow Matt Eberflus to become a better head coach. I don't want to overstate the significance. And sometimes I fear, you know, in the morning show, in these little snippets, we tend to maybe do that, or I tend to maybe do that. But I do think it's an important distinction. And I'm not sure Matt Eberflus is a better head coach because he's calling defensive signals. No, and, and particularly at a time where uh, your 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 oversight as the head coach is is as uh, meaningful as ever, right? Like you have the responsibility of steadying everything that's been going on here for the first three weeks, and, and it just requires more work at this stage because they're not on stable ground. Nothing is steady around here, and so now you add in the mix of having to be the defensive play caller and the guy who's kind of uh, o- overseeing all of that, and it, it does become – more challenging. We'll see how Matt does with it. He, he did say earlier in the week that he had planned to continue down this path for the remainder of the season. It sounded like he did leave some wiggle room if it wasn't going well, that there would be an opportunity to have additional discussions. But this seems to be the path they're on. Um, and now you've got to go figure out a way to make it work, you know, with the staff you have around you. And you have to go try to win a football game again against the Denver team that, um, you know, 
is reeling a little bit, but certainly still has some some established <laughs> difference makers in this league, right? Do you think it impairs his ability to be the CEO? And do you think that it's a fair uh, example when you talk about how he got caught sort of in the, not caught, but like he dis- he misdescribed or, or, or described incorrectly the Tyreek Stevenson injury and recovery and and maybe the decisions to put you know Justin Fields back or make a decision or the judgment of concussions on Sunday in Kansas City oh. was could have been affected by doing too much. Do you think that's a fair criticism? Well, I think I think naturally you're going to be spread thin more than you would be otherwise. And when you get spread thin, certain things suddenly slip by that might not otherwise slip by. I think you mentioned the CEO part of this. I think the other thing we got to keep an eye on is the game management part of this. You know, like you're, you're going to have to be overseeing a defense. Oh, by the way, your offense just got the ball back. You got two timeouts. There's a minute 36 left in the first half. You've got to manage this entire game situation here, you know. And and so just kind of wearing those different hats and, and juggling those different uh, – I'd say knives, but uh, maybe wanted to go apples. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you want to juggle around here these days. It's, it's it's just there's another thing to juggle, and it's not easy. And so um, you got to figure out a way to handle that, and you got to figure out a way to bring out what your best assets are as a coach while doing that. And then, like I say, there's just another set of duties that 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 you're uh, you're in charge of. The other big story is the attrition in the secondary, the injury report, which is bears daily monitoring because of the caliber of the player that are on it. Jalen Johnson, uh, Blackwell, exactly. uh, you have uh, Tyreek Stevenson, who was a full participant in practice on Wednesday, and, and it looks like he's going to be okay. But how would you describe the state of health in the secondary and how – good and ready that defense is for the challenge of the Broncos. Yeah, look, I mean, like Kyler Gordon, IR, Eddie Jackson's still out, Jalen Johnson working through some things, Josh Blackwell, like, like so you're, you're thin and, and you and I talked, uh, in training camp about the, the depth in the, the safety position being challenged. Well, now the corner depth is being challenged and you've got to figure it out and you've got to figure it out on the fly. Eddie Jackson feels optimistic about the, the direction that his recovery is going. I think he, uh, you know, determinedly wants to get into Sunday's game in some way, shape, or form. He was trying to lobby to to be on a, a snap count because I think he feels like he can make a difference. I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think he's going to play on Sunday. And uh, you've got a, a quick turnaround um, to next Thursday, right? Like, I mean, you're right. playing these two games here in a span of five days. And so you've got to manage that as well as a coach, you know? So look, it's, it's not pretty because – Sean Payton and Russell Wilson may not be at their best right now, but they're still Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. And I'll get into more of that during my prediction, but like, you know, you cannot expose holes on your own defense that allow them to take advantage of things that, that put you in a, in a, in a dangerous situation. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, it's not great to be looking at that injury report and seeing how depleted the secondary is related to the secondary. The bears poached Joan Williams off the Vikings practice squad, a big cornerback, big body guy. The Patriots made him the fifth. I think it was a 45th overall pick of the 2019 NFL draft. Second rounder was injured last year, went to the Vikings. I don't know if he's going to be one of these guys, Dan, that is up and running because he has to be. What did they have in a Joe Williams, or do you know? 
Yeah, not sure. Yeah, our guy Bigsy's been uh, excited about the uh, practice excited. squad poaching of Joan Williams, and we'll see what kind of role might be there for him in his first days on the team here. Uh, obviously, you would you would think maybe some special teams contributions if he's active, um, and then you just have to be ready. You have to be ready to, to play in a pinch. You know, we mentioned Jalen Jones last week as a guy who came in, Quindell Johnson who came in on the back end of the defense. There's a lot of different guys being forced into to heavier action here, and and you got to keep producing because this league doesn't just stop and wait around for all your guys to get healthy. Good segue to the offensive line. Is Nate Davis going to be productive this week? Do you think that he will be back? He's not been on the injury list. Can we assume that he will be active? Can we assume if he is, he'll be starting? I don't assume anything with Nate Davis at this point. We'll see how it evolves. Um, if I was leaning one direction, I'd say, yes, he plays. He starts at right guard, and, and they figure out where to where to go from there. Uh, hopefully, he'll be able to get himself back in the, the right space to, to be able to play and contribute for this Bears offensive line because you want that thing closer to full strength than it's been. Um, you want Justin having that that comfort there. Uh, listen, like Chris Morgan, the offensive line coach, was, was uh, almost glowing. Uh, in his reviews of how Jatari Carter has filled in here, uh, not only for the first three games of the season, but during camp when guys were out. And so they, 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 I think that that Chris feels like they've got a little bit of a diamond in the rough that they're still polishing here in Jatari. And that's not to be lost here uh, amid some of the attrition on the offensive line. I think you've heard from Olin Cruz before talking about some of the works he's done with Jatari Carter behind the scenes and and the promise that's there. And so m- maybe you stumble into something really good when when you have a setback like this and you identify a guy that can be part of your, your starting group going forward if you can continue to push his development in the right direction. All right, let's move on to our numbers game and also our predictions. All right, let's start with the numbers, Dan. Nice package in the Chicago Tribune. ChicagoTribune.com is there every Thursday, beginning on Thursday, for people to check out. Uh, liked a lot of them. Uh, what were your favorites? Yeah, I'll go with four of them tonight. We'll start with the most obvious, which is 726. That's the uh, <laughs> number of yards that the Denver Broncos allowed to the Miami Dolphins in the Week 3 loss. Uh, the, the, the Dolphins averaged 10.2 yards per play and had four different players record a gain of 50-plus yards. Tyreek Hill had a 54-yard touchdown reception. Devon A-Chain, am I pronouncing that right? That one's changed a couple times. He had a uh, 67-yard touchdown run. Robbie Chosen, 68-yard touchdown pass. Chris Brooks, 52-yard touchdown run. It seemed like every time you put on a series that the Dolphins were running, they were in the end zone. It was big plays. It was crazy. Two at Tagovailoa, by the way. Uh, Four touchdown passes, three incompletions against this Broncos uh, defense. So that should be something that Justin Fields and Luke Getze look at and go, okay, LFG. 23 of 26 Tua was a year ago this week was when he went down with that scary concussion. He has rebounded nicely. I remember the conversation being, will he ever play again? He's not only playing again, he's playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Here's the thing before we move on to your next one. That Denver defense, I know it's terrible because of the numbers. (laughs) They're historically bad, but going into this season, even last year, that was a defense that a lot of people around the league thought had some talent. And, and with Vic, you know, they were guys that you didn't think were capable of just, you know, giving up what they've given up. Well, and they're beat up a little bit right now. Justin Simmons, we'll see what his status is for Sunday. He's one of their uh, better players on the back end of that defense. Josie Jewell dealing with uh, some soft tissue stuff as well, and no no, no telling where he's at. Um, but look, I, I, 70 and 726 yeah, are, are numbers that you, you, just, you just do not see outside yeah. of the Big 12. <laughs> <laughs> What's the next one? 
All right, let's go right into the Big 12. We've got a, uh, a rookie out of Oklahoma. The number is seven. It's Marvin Mims. He's touched the ball 15 times through the first three games of his NFL career, and seven of those touches have gone for 30 yards or more. We've got receptions of 30, 38, 53, and a 60-yard touchdown reception. We've got a punt return of 45 yards. We've got a kickoff return of 30 yards and another kickoff return of 99 yards and a touchdown. So big play, Marvin Mims is a guy the Bears better have on their radar for Sunday afternoon. That's a remarkable big play capability. That is something that, you know, when you talk about bad defenses, yeah, you're not restricted to just talking about the Broncos. No, no, no doubt at all. Um, All right, my next one, David, 60. It's the third down conversion rate of Bears opponents through three games this season. The Bears were dead last in the NFL a year ago with their third down defense. That was at 49%. They are significantly worse through the first three games of this season. The Chiefs were 10 for 14 the other day. We know what the pain was in watching them extend drives and then put the ball in the end zone. Uh, My God, like a 60% third down conversion rate is not going to get it done. That's got to get turned around in a hurry. You know, the Bronco defense would might have had worse third down numbers if the Dolphins would have actually had to you know snap on third down they never really got there <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's how it goes um last number this one's fun and and, and you'll like this one because you remember a lot of these 2.5 it's the average margin of victory in the past four games of the Bears Broncos series both teams have each won two games out of the last four. The time machine will take us first back to 2007. I was actually in the, the, the stands that day. Oh, really? Not, not in the press box. Was that the Hester game? Devin Hester, two return touchdowns in that game. Don't forget a final minute touchdown pass from Rex Grossman to Bernard Berrien to force overtime. And the Chicago Bears pulled out a 37-34 victory over... Jay Cutler, Jay Cutler and the Broncos. And, and Brandon yes. Marshall that's, and the Broncos. That's right. I remember that. That was a November game. And I remember the, the Hester touchdown. I remember the comeback. That was a great – that was one of those great days at Soldier Field. Misty and, and cold out there. Yes. But tons of tons of explosive plays in that game. And obviously, anytime Hester does his thing, it's, it's wonderful. Four years later, we fast forward. We go to Denver. The Bears are beating a, 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 a average Broncos team 10 to nothing deep into the fourth quarter. And then guess what happened? Tebow mania took over. Marion Barber lost track of the game. Somehow the game went into overtime and the Bears lost 13 to 10. I would love to pull up your column from that afternoon and, oh my. and see what some, of the, what some of the stuff was in that. Marion Barber, that was a bad, bad loss. I remember about that trip and that game. You're going to laugh at me, but all I remember most is that yeah, the Marion Barber play, I remember Tebow coming back and, and being – that was right when he was starting to capture uh, people's imagination in the NFL. Like, could they? Well, how are they doing this with this offense? And then I remember buying my son, who was, I think, 10 at the time, coming home with the Tim Tebow jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I did that to my kid. And he was like, this was before he discovered hockey. Dad, what's that? Who's he? And then, you know, but yeah, I was I was part of Team. There he is. <laughs> I was part of Team Mania. I remember that game well. All right. So then uh, four years after that, first year under John Fox, the Bears were a feisty team playing John Fox's old team, the team uh, in Denver that was headed to the Super Bowl. But they were out without Peyton Manning that day uh, at Soldier Field. And the Bears had a chance to tie the game in the final minute, scored a touchdown, went for two and the conversion, failed Price's right horn. Remember that one? Brock Osweiler, was he the quarterback for the Correct. Broncos that day? Yep. Yes, I do remember the Brock Os- Osweiler start, and I do remember the disappointment. 
The most recent one, 2019, 16 to 14 Bears. Walk off. Eddie Pinheiro, Eddie Money, Pinheiro De Niro field goal after Mitch Trubisky hit Allen Robinson with one second left to set up a deep kick, and the Bears escaped after losing that uh, opener of the 100th season to the Packers. They rebounded in week two against Vic Fangio and the Broncos in Denver, and it was Eddie Pinheiro, the kicker that they had spent the entire offseason trying to find, saving the day. The Augusta silence, he mastered that with the tryouts. I remember him at Hallis Hall. I do wonder this, so expert trivia on the spot, Dan. Where is Eddie Pinheiro, and where is Allen Robinson right now? Uh, Allen Robinson, I just saw him make a catch for the, the Steelers last week. Yeah, he's week. in Pittsburgh, right? And I believe Eddie Pinheiro is still in Carolina kicking for Chris Tabor. Oh, that's true. All the expert special teamers go to wherever Chris Tabor is working this season, and they find work. There you go. And Eddie Pinheiro's still around. That's a good, so. that's a good list. I like those. That's a, that's a very uh, nice, fun trip down memory lane. All right, yeah. those are the numbers. Now let's do our predictions. Let's bring in Adam Sudzinski. Studs have been thinking about this all week. We have the 0-3 Bears, the 0-3 Broncos. Who is going to be winless on Sunday night? If I could, real quick, before I do my prediction, because you sparked some memories with those old Broncos <laughs> games, I, I I vividly remember the Devin Hester game. That was the with the announcers are saying, "Why are you kicking to him? Like, what are you like? Like, stop kicking to him!" Like, and they're yeah. like, as Devin Hester's running back the kick, they're like, "Why would you do this?" Was it the punter? Was the punter? Yeah. I think he yeah. kicked yeah. off and punted at that time. Yeah. He also, yeah. he also, I think he also had a punt block that day too. It was like one of the worst days you've ever seen a kicker have. And then the 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 Tim Tebow game. Oh boy! I watched I watched that game alone. I watched the end of that game alone at my house in college, and I remember being so thankful I was alone because I it's, it's maybe the most distraught I've ever been after a loss. Like I was after after a Bears game, I was like so livid because I was like, they can't blow this game to this guy. Yeah. Like he's terrible. Don't do this to me, and and so it was just a bad. So were you were you a victim of Tebow mania, or were you a believer or not? I hate I hated him in the NFL. I liked him a lot in, in college. How do you like him in college and hate him in the NFL? I mean, he was pretty polarized. I don't know. Really? Well, it's because he was because he was so bad, but he kept winning games somehow, and it was just made no sense to me. And so, yeah, I I did like him a lot at Florida though, for whatever reason. So, you want a playoff game? Yeah, yeah, he did. It was on that like uh, against the Steelers, right? He made an incredible yeah. throw in overtime, like the Demarius yeah. Thomas. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, I just had to share those because those that sparks the memory. So, anyway, uh, <clears throat> uh, I did think a, little, a lot more about this one than I thought I was going to when the season started about this game, and so I did end up picking the Bears. But it comes with this caveat, and you guys hold me to this: if the Bears don't put up at twenty-five points, and this is a Freaking low bar to clear. 25 <laughs> points against a team that gave up 35 to the Commanders and 70 to the Dolphins. Like, the Dolphins are going to score 30-plus against a lot of teams this year. And the 70 is kind of an, a freak thing, I know. But they gave up 105 points in two games. You got to get 25-plus at the very least moving in the right direction. So I got the Bears winning 26 to 25, barely clearing my own low bar. But if they can't do that, I'm not picking until they win a game this season. Hold hmm. me to that, please. Because I'll take them to lose to every game until they start winning. If they and they lose like thirty to twenty six, I can and it and we see Justin Fields go going in the right direction and all that stuff. Then I'll find a way to to cope. But if they can't get twenty five on this defense, then I mean, 
that's 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 terrible. Just terrible. So there right. you go. So that, that, I, that, that that's a lot of faith. That's a lot of faith to place in in the Bears. But you got, I admire your loyalty. You got it. The Commanders with Sam Howell got thirty five points on this defense. You got to find a way to to get twenty five. And Dan, so I have less faith. Poor studs in crisis mode. He's not going to like this prediction. I've got Broncos 27, Bears 19, including a Cairo Santos missed extra point. Uh, I know, I know. It just feels like this, this is, this is where we're headed. Um, I, I like, I didn't need much time to think about this. I just like, for me right now, I don't know what you trust about this Bears team. There's just literally nothing to trust in. And when you sit there and you go, okay, can we trust the pass rush? Can we trust the run defense? Can we trust the passing attack? Can we trust especially like what, what what are we going to lean on to get us out of the skit i can't trust anything and then as i mentioned earlier the broncos is as bad as they were last week still have sean payton and russell wilson these are two guys that have a um savvy about them and understand how to find your holes the broncos are obviously going to have to be way better on defense and i think vance joseph the dc has been put on notice you give up 35 to this struggling bears offense and you're probably out of a job on monday uh broncos 27 bears 19 hmm so by the way before we get too farther uh Caleb Haney was a quarterback in the day against the Tim Tebow while we're going. We, can, we can't get out of the 2011 yeah, I can't, I can't All right, so, so, so this, is, this is what I, I think about the Bears and the Broncos. I think that the Bears have not earned back the benefit of the doubt if they ever had it. I don't think that I'm going to pick them to win again until they win again. And I think they are closer to being the worst team and in the NFL than they are a playoff team. I think they're actually closer to being the worst team than they are being a winning team. They're just closer to being the worst team, period, than I would be comfortable with four weeks into the season. So when you look at the units, the two worst units are the Bears offense and the Bronco defense. Both are broken, historically bad in both cases. But I think the – this doesn't probably make any sense. The Bears offense – I don't. I think they have a, have a harder time bouncing back than the Bronco defense, and and I think so. That may be a wash. Maybe they cancel each other out. But the Bear offense or the Bear defense and the Bronco offense, the Bronco offense is better. The Bear defense isn't good enough to stop it. So if the other matchup is a wash and the Bronco offense scores points, that's going to be the difference. Broncos thirty-one, Bears twenty-seven. Whew. You got them scoring 25 points, though. See, <laughs> see I don't bar. understand that. I heard people say, like, oh, if they if the Bears lose by 10, but they score 27 points, I won't be that unhappy. Really? I think this that's, is- that's I, just from a fan perspective here, that's, that's a coping mechanism. And that's like, show me that you're moving in the right direction, and I'll stick with whatever the hell this is a little bit longer. I think that's what that is. Um, yeah, that, that could be the case. I, I, yeah. I hope that we're Dan and I are wrong because listen, this this is a franchise, this is a city, this is a radio station that needs to change the subject. You know? <laughs> no kidding. It's like no kidding. There's there's got to be there's got to be something that that is different here at some point in time because this is painfully redundant, and I have said that before. So I'm being painfully redundant at pointing out that it's painfully redundant. Here, here's here's the the other worry that if the Bears do win and get that full 
feeling of relief and satisfaction of finally breaking the skid. They've got to turn around, you know, three days later and get on a plane to go to Washington to play the commanders and they won't even have time to fully enjoy it. And then if they lose that game to the commanders, we're right back into to, to week six. with like, Oh God, it's, you know, like they, they didn't even have a chance to, to, to even soak that one in. Well, there's a real, there's a very real possibility that lingers there. Molly and I talked about it this morning that this could be a two for one type of deal either way. If you win, you might feel like, all right, short week, you got some momentum back, you ride that to Washington and you, and you upset the commanders, maybe. That's optimistic. But if you lose, <laughs> short week, tough turnaround. Those injuries that might be, oh, yeah, I'm going to come back and play your own four. Why right. would you rush back to, play, to be in a hurry to be 0-5? All right. of a sudden, you lose this game, you might get a two-for-one deal. Ugh. All right, let's get into our two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. Really wanted your opinion on this, Dan, really quickly. But this week, not that you know, we in the media pay a little closer attention to this stuff than maybe others. Peter King from uh, Football Morning in America, NBCSports.com, respected veteran, longtime NFL guy. He wrote that Justin Fields may have a few more weeks left. Big Z on the Mullen Haw Show on Tuesday morning, surprised the heck out of me and writing in, in the Chicago Tribune.com, the true or false that Justin Fields needs a break. Bigsy's like true. And then he <laughs> pointed out that, you know, this isn't guaranteed that he's going to be your starter moving forward. If he, things don't change, are you in that camp? What did you think of those opinions that aren't necessarily, as we know, knee jerk, they talk to people, you talk to people. Is this something that is the next level of conversation as it pertains to Justin Fields? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's the natural next step if things continue to go down the same path that they're going down. We've talked previously about, obviously, you're not going to make a switch on a short week next week, but if you have major, major worry and major, major anxiety about the direction things are headed and you get your first of too many buys in the season after the game in Washington, maybe it makes you have a longer conversation about where things head. Look, like this isn't unprecedented in terms of um, – where the timeline is for quarterbacks when people inside the building start to get a little antsy about about your development. You remember the game in L.A. Uh, when Mitch Trubisky left with a with a you know a very timely injury, <laughs> you know, in that game that they were losing to the Rams in 2019. That I think was either late October or early November of that season. Um, and, and so, you know, we're not far off from, from the point where it's like, Hey, like we need to see something and, and we got to go now. Otherwise we got to take a look at something else. Now look like Mitch came back a couple different times after that initial, uh, injury slash kind of benching and, and was back in as a starter in various points. But like the, the, there is nothing that says it's off limits to have that discussion. So we miss a lot of the conversations that you're able to have with coaches, with players. We can't get to everything in every pod. And certainly in every story or every interview, anything stand out that we didn't really address or got a little bit overlooked this week? Yeah, a couple quick things that that I wanted to run through. Number one, I think that the No Excuses Tour is being um, phased out by the More Excuses Tour. I I am startled at how there just continues to be another pile of excuses every single week. A week ago, it was, man, the coaching staff really has to, to, uh, um, you know, dial back and and make things a little bit easier for Justin to play free. And then they put in a, a more simplified game plan against the Chiefs, and then the Chiefs defended it, and it was like, well, that was too easy to defend. Why did they do that? It's like, well, because you just said that they needed to do that to free up the quarterback to play more freely, and it had to give him more defined reads and more opportunity to scramble and run, and so I just, the, the excuses are, are adding up way too much. The other one I wanted to throw at you is uh, someone in the league asked me to, uh, as, a, as a, take a look at the state of the Bears situation 
run through this in your brain really quick and rattle off the players that you 100% expect to be on this roster in 2025. Fast forward 22 months and tell me uh, who you could rattle off on that list, and then I'll tell you the, the list that I came up with. Darnell Wright, DJ Moore, um, Roshan Johnson, I would say Javon Dexter, Pickens, Tremaine Edmonds, Kyler Gordon, Jaquan Brisker. All right. Pretty good. I think you came up with eight there. I had uh, Cole Komet and Tyreek Stevenson on there. I didn't I didn't have Roshan Johnson, but you might be on to something with that one. And Dexter and Pickens. I mean, come on, two years from now, if there's a, a whole regime change in here and those guys haven't produced, there's that. Guys, mean, you're putting, right. those, putting those in as a, a, a thousand percenters is like going back to the Ego Ferguson, Will Sutton days. You know, let's <laughs> let's see some plays before we. Uh, God, that's before, a great recall. Before we push them onto a, a new regime. But that, that just gives you a sign of just kind of how how bleak it is here and how much work this roster needs and how much work hasn't really gotten fully accomplished here. Um, so that, that one's a little disheartening. The last thing I had for you is I, I was curious since you did talk to the mayor of Chicago, what your takeaway from him is on the bears stadium issue, because that's something that's gotten pushed that's to the background question. with all the chaos that's been yeah, going on around the team. Uh, yeah, That's a really good question because we did have him speak on the record. I think that was the first time he was interviewed about the stadium project I would think bullet point wise, this is what I got from it. And it was a great access to him. And I really appreciated him coming to NBC Sports Chicago. Layla Rahimi and I interviewed Brandon Johnson, the mayor of Chicago on Football Night in Chicago. You can find it on their YouTube page. Um, Number one, he believes that public financing and professional sports teams, I think he didn't say it in these plain of terms, but he was very careful that I don't think public subsidies are something that he believes in or should have pro sports teams should have access to. I think that's a really important line to draw for any politician, especially one who's a mayor of a city with as many issues and problems as Chicago faces. That's not a political statement. That's just reality. So I think that I I got that sense from him, even though he might not put it in those terms. The other thing is that he does believe that there's a real opportunity and a chance that the Bears will stay in Chicago because he believes, and it may be just optimistic politician talking, um, but he believes that his relationship with Kevin Warren gives them uh, a shot to make this work or make an appeal that makes sense to the Bears and then maybe figure out the rest later. I don't know. It seems overly ambitious and maybe not real realistic, but you tell me, if you ask my impressions of him, what he thinks, I think he believes that. And then the last one was I asked him because he was a young Bears fan growing up in Elgin when they won the Super Bowl. And he was a Mike Singletary guy. And he bought into the, you know, the Super Bowl shuffle and uh, the the bear weather myth. All <laughs> stuff. So I asked him directly that as a believer, as a guy who grew up with that around him, where are you on dome stadiums? Because the next stadium, whether it's in Chicago or Arlington Heights, I believe should be an enclosed structure. It has to, yeah. If you're going to do that in Chicago, it's going to be more expensive. And I want to know what that looks like. But he did sound like somebody, again, speaking very carefully like politicians tend to do. He he referenced climate change. He referenced the elements. He referenced controlling things and attracting things. So he sounded like a pro-dome guy to me. So if they are able to keep the Bears in Chicago and they're able to either renovate Soldier Field or build – 
on a site that was determined and you wouldn't tell me where, <laughs> then I think that it would be an enclosed structure in the city, which let's face it, I think it's still going to be Arlington Heights. I'm not going to change my opinion there. But if it were in Chicago and it were an enclosed structure, that would be terrific for the city because I don't think you can beat the location. You certainly can't beat the skyline. And I think Brandon Johnson did what he needed to do in that appearance. Uh, he kept the momentum or he kept the 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 uh, he didn't close any doors. And that's that's the one thing you can't do as a politician. So he kept all possibilities open. That's a good update from that side of things. Thank you for providing it. That's a little bit more than two minutes. So I think I ran over the, the play clock. Oh, doesn't well. matter. All right. No so questions. Sunday at Soldier Field, we're going to be back with our post-game pod. Broncos and the Bears. Russell Wilson returns to the spot where he had a very good day as a rookie in 2012. And Brian Urlacher's last game, I believe, as a Chicago Bear. We'll uh, reminisce a little bit about that on Sunday. But we'll be back with the post-game pod. I want to thank you for listening to the Take the North podcast on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You also can watch us on the 670 Sports YouTube page. For Adam Sadzinski, who still believes in the Bears, for leader who is at Hallisall, I'm David Hall. Thanks for listening to the Take the North podcast. Great talk. See you out there.